Welcome to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast, being brought to you directly from Beverly Hills by myself, Jay Calvert, and the famous and amazing Dr. Millicent Ravello. How are you? I am great. You you saved that intro. I was a little worried about where you I were going with that. Like, I'm not sure what he's doing, and, and I'm gonna I'm just gonna wait. And it's okay. I could bail him out, but I'm gonna see how he how he improves. Yeah. Good job. I was just very happy to be here in Beverly Hills today because it's a nice sunny day. It is nice and sunny. Finally, I, I know. I didn't see any of that sun because I was in doing a couple of rib grafts. Because yes. that's this is. Jay Calvert's A Place for Ribs. A place for Ribs. It is rib season <laughs> is up in here. Rib city. Um, do you know one of the plastic surgeons, before we get into tuberous breasts, which is the topic of this yes. of this podcast, in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> what are these nuts talking about? There was an article <laughs> written about the Beverly Hills rib graft cartel. What? <laughs> I swear to God. It was written by a plastic surgeon. It's very funny. When was this? Probably six years or seven years ago. And who is in the cartel? Well, I, I'm not sure that I was the target of the cartel term, but it was sort of like uh, a bunch of people that do a lot of ribs, many of whom I trained. So oh, I think funny. I probably was in the cartel, but it was one you're of like, my friends that wrote like the article. the godfather of the cartel. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't want anybody doing ribs in Beverly Hills. <laughs> They need to talk to me. <laughs> Our family's rights depend on them. No, I, uh, it, it was bizarre. It's, I don't huh. think it's still up there anymore. I think it was taken down. But we that we started doing like hashtag RGC. If you look back <laughs> at, some of the, at, at some of the posts from that time period. It was very funny. That is funny. But let's get on topic. Yes. Today we are talking about tuberous breast deformity. Mm. Dr. Calvert just <laughs> Sorry, vomited a, a little bit a little in bit. his mouth. It's, it's a very, very tough topic. This it's, is this is your special. This is, you know, it's funny because it's one of those things where you like look up any given paper or article published on tuberous breast deformity, deformity and the first line of every paper is, this is a difficult problem. Tuberous breast deformity is a so difficult problem. It's also called congenital breast deformity, um, which I like a little bit better, although I'm hesitant about the word deformity because who wants to hear their breasts are deformed. But it is a wide spectrum, um, which we will go through and talk about who benefits from what kind of surgery. Well, and I like to call it constricted yeah, breast that's deformity. A, that's that's a good actually what I think the problem is. I think yeah. it's like a herniated breast areolar tissue problem with constriction and i and i do these i'm not not i'm not bailing completely on tuberous breast deformity but you do a lot of them i know this is uh this is kind of your your bread and butter um this is a a problem where the breast really looks kind of like a like sort of a herniated skin sock with breast tissue that's just not spread out over the chest wall like it ought to be. Like it ought to be. And the problem is it's congenital in the sense that it actually goes back to in utero development where the breast tissues did not form properly. And they actually have, they're called constriction bands. And there are these bands that are usually in the lower half of the breast, which literally constrict the breast and keep it from developing. And so you can have different grades of severity, but the most classic form involves the lower pole of the breast. And it can be a mild deformity where just the inner quadrant of the tuberous breast is affected and the rest of the breast has developed normally. And you might not even realize that it's a deformity per se. Um, Or it can be completely the whole breast has not developed 
um, or it could be somewhere in between. And even though it happens usually to both breasts, it's not uncommon for one breast to be more severe than the other. And so these patients come in saying, they don't come in saying, I have a constriction deformity. They just come in saying, my boobs are two different sizes. And then when you start examining them, you see all these other anomalies. Yeah, and and it's, you know, a lot of times you see, you, you do, you see the patient for like a, a, a breast augmentation and they just want their breast to look nice. And you realize like what you're dealing with is sort of a, you know, a mild or, or mm-hmm. moderate form of, of a constricted breast. And that just changes the plan dramatically. You dramatically. have to, and this is, this is where and I always come back to this. And in medicine, <laughs> the first thing you should do is make a diagnosis. I'm telling you, <laughs> it's it, so it true. brightens up your treatment plans like yes. a whole bunch if you make a proper diagnosis. And it can, the mild cases can be tricky. They can go undiagnosed. And so it does typically come in with a patient who wants a breast augmentation. And if you just look at her face on or to the average person, you're like, okay, normal-ish looking breast, wants larger breasts, no big deal, throw some implants in there, high five, call it a day. But if you miss the fact that maybe her lower pole is underdeveloped or the inner aspect of the lower pole is not fully filled out, you're going to have a suboptimal result of the augmentation because you're not going to do the things in surgery that you need to do to release or address that constricted lower pole. And it can be a very mild case, but you have to recognize it because it does change the plan. And so that's sort of like the easiest version of tuberous breasts where the breasts are more or less the same size, but maybe there's this mild deformity of the lower pole that has to be addressed. Well, that that's really what you're talking about is kind of the grading system of yeah. tuberous uh, breast deformity uh, or constricted breasts. And this is a uh, grading system that basically the more severe the grade, it's one, two, three, and four. The, the details are not really important for this podcast. But Basically, with the lower grades, single-stage reconstruction uh, where you can just go ahead, do a, either a straight augmentation, uh, mammoplasty or you know breast augmentation, or you can do a biplanar where you're releasing the, the gland from the pectoralis major muscle and then scoring the breast capsule and releasing those constrictions right. to let the breast tissue spread out. That can pretty much be done in one stage for the milder versions. Right. As you get to the more severe versions, it's controversial. Do you do single stage or do you tissue expand first, put in a tissue expander, which is a balloon that we put in under the breast, blow it up with saline by injecting it weekly and slowly expand the skin and then come back for a secondary procedure and put in the permanent uh, gel Implant. prosthesis. Right, um, And it, it, you can either... You can do any of those, but you really have to do it based on how they present. And so sort of the classic treatment of tuberous breast deformity is implants. So I have had patients come in and they're like, well, I don't want implants. Can I just do fat grafting and a lift? I'm like, well, you can, but you're not actually addressing what the problem is. The problem are these constriction bands. And so classically, it was thought that you do a periareolar approach, you go in through the areola, that allows you to look right down at the IMF, which you typically need to lower because that distance from the nipple to the IMF is typically very short. If you're going to put an implant in, you need to lower it. So you can lower the IMF, secure it where you want it, 
release those bands that are causing it to constrict. And, you, and they are legitimate bands. You can see them. You can feel them. And when you release them, the whole breast kind of just goes, ah, like yeah, it relaxes yeah, it and opens out. up. Yep. Um, and then, you know, the, the thought is that you actually put the implant in in a subglandular position because putting it directly under the breast tissue puts pressure on the breast tissue and keeps those bands from scarring back down and reforming. Typically, you know, these days, I think most people put implants in in the submuscular position. That's sort of the go-to. But this is the one situation where you would really strongly consider putting in a subglandular or over-the-muscle implant because you want that direct pressure of the implant against the glandular tissue. And then typically, you have to do something with the areola, um, whether you need to do a lift um, or make it smaller. But it's not uncommon for the areola itself to be, we say, herniating. And that's right. all sort of part of the same pathology. The areola tissue and skin is the thinnest and most elastic skin on the breast. And so when the rest of the breast can't expand because it has these constriction bands, all the expansion and growth happens through the nipple areolar complex. So it herniates and gets this really pointed, that's where the tuberous name comes from, it gets this pointed cone shape to it. So you have to release the areola as well and let that spread out and become more circular. And that typically involves usually some kind of circumareolar mastopexy. So that's the classic way of treating tuberous breast deformity. Yeah, and the one thing that is consistent across all the grades of the tuberous breast deformity is that this constricted tissue does cause uh, problems in terms of how that breast tissue is going to lay on an implant and how it's going to spread out and present and look over time because if you just were to put in implants in a tuberous oh. breast deformity oh it would be so bad <laughs> it'd be so bad <laughs> like then it's then it's a iatrogenic deformity <laughs> it's yeah. no longer a congenital deformity like it's someone been, someone caused something bad to yeah, happen there so it and it does it's it's legit i mean this is a hard problem and and i think getting great results i always tell these patients you may need two procedures mm-hmm. you know maybe we should do it in two procedures we talk about tissue expansion but you know some of the results are spectacular, and you can really make incredible changes for people. And some, you know, they're better, but they still have that remnant of the mm, fact that the breasts yeah. just weren't weren't formed correctly. They really they weren't. Um, and in patients where it's really severe, I mean, sometimes you can have patients that come in with a fully formed breast on one side and absolutely nothing on the other, yeah. completely flat. Maybe they have a nipple irregular complex, um, but there's no breast tissue there. And in those patients particularly, that's where you're going to do the tissue expander. Because sure. you have to stretch that skin. You can't just throw an implant in. Um, I had one of those patients recently where someone did that. They just put an implant in. And it was it was... It was not good. I ended up having to go back on her and take the implant out, put a tissue expander in, and then over time, I slowly stretched the skin out. It allowed me to move the nipple into the right position because it was like super high staring at her. Um, and then in the end, she had a great result, and she she looked really good. But it took us, you know, over a year of like really working on her to really get the breasts where, where we wanted them. So yep. it can definitely be quite the process. Doing uh, the circumareolar lift or a vertical scar lift or even an anchor scar lift, would you do that at the same time or would you stage it? No, I do it at the same time. Yeah, I yeah. think that's the way to I mean, do we it. We do it 
we do we know we know how to do that. We do that on our regular cosmetic masterpexies and augs all the time. So I think it's perfectly safe, and I don't see any reason to stage it. Um, but I do agree that you know you do have to tell these patients you may need some more surgery down the road because so it's hard, especially if they're really yeah. severe, to get all of those deformities addressed at once. Um, and I have one patient who. I went on her, I think I've been in on her twice now, at least twice, and I can. And her nipple irregular complex keeps herniating and causing pain, and I go in there, and I release all the bands, and I take out all the scar tissue, and then six months later, it's like right back where I was. So mm. there's just, there's, it's, it's a difficult problem, as the literature says. <laughs> Is fat grafting part of the solution? Mm, nah. I don't know, unless they need it for like some kind of contour deformity. But I wouldn't say that that's something I would do routinely by any means. I will say, though, that as much work as we do in surgery, there is a decent amount of work that the patients have to do after surgery. Because once we've released those bands of the lower pole and we've tried to correct that conical deformity... You really have to put some time in after surgery wearing what's called an implant stabilizer. So a yep. band that goes around the top of the chest that sits on top of the implants and pushes them down because the you have right. to fill out that breast skin and breast tissue that was previously unexpanded, hadn't been released. Its natural tendency is going to want to be to constrict down and push the implant back up. So you need to counterbalance that by putting an implant stabilizer on and pushing those implants into the pocket. And then frequently you have to do something with the IMF because you have to lower it. So that needs to be stabilized. So it's a lot of work. I mean, it's not something simple. And I feel bad for these patients who come in. They're like, I just wanted an augmentation. And now you're telling me I have to have a lift and I have to have all these procedures and it's going to be complicated and I have all this work to do afterwards. Like, what the heck? <laughs> or, or not. But if you want to get the result, then that's, that's the key. That's why the diagnosis is so important. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Well, Dr. Ravello, I will be sure to direct the tuberous <laughs> deformity patients your way. Uh, I will deal with the ones that come to me. But uh, for sure, this is a, a problem that people should know about and, uh, and know that there is definitely hope and it can work out very well. Just have to get a great surgeon on your team and go forward. That's it. Well, there you have it. So this is the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast coming to you from the 90210. Thanks for listening to the Beverly Hills Plastic Surgery Podcast. If you want to reach Dr. Ravello or myself, we're available for consultations. We can also be reached through the websites. Dr. Ravello, what's your website? My website is rovelloplasticsurgery.com. And the phone number to reach us here in the office is 310-954-1355. And I do want to mention Rock Spa, which is the sponsor, truly the financial backer of this podcast. And Rock Spa is the Medi Spa that's located both in Newport Beach and Beverly Hills, providing Botox, fillers, lasers, microneedling, esthetician services like hydrofacials. We have incredible people. They do great stuff. And I highly recommend taking a look at the websites, rockspanewportbeach.com or rockspabeverlyhills.com. All the information is also on my website, drcalvert.com.